have the privilege and honor to introduce our speakers of today. And our speaker number one, she is amazing, a powerhouse. But more than anything, she's told me the difference between um, calling and obligation. Like, she's one that it's truly call. You know, when you're truly call, you say yes to the Lord. And you do it not because you have to, but because you get to. And, and you cannot wait to serve the Lord. And she has taught me that. Like, and I, I, I didn't know her, like, firsthand personally. I knew about her through Nathan. So, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I was a little jelly. I was like, who is this woman? Who is she? Um, but, like, getting to know her, like, I've loved how her yes is a full yes in capital letters. And there's no turning back. There's no, like, like I'm here, but, you know, like, complaining. It's just, it's an honor to introduce to you Stephanie Ferris. Come on. <laughs> It is also an honor to serve with such a, a wonderful woman in the house, and uh, you are actually such a gift to the body, Allie, and it's a joy to watch you worship because it actually gives us all permission to worship very freely. You ever notice that about her? Yeah, so let's give her a hand. Yeah, so good. You guys, when you introduce like that, I know I feel the same way. I introduce someone, then I almost want to cry, and then they're crying, and then that's the awkward spot of trying to start the service, right? So, hey, I am really, really excited to be here with you today. When uh, the opportunity came to speak on this topic, um, I was thrilled to get this assignment because we're going to be talking about the Christ today. And so I can't tell you um, how excited I am, but it's been something that's actually been an impact to me, and it's something that I've studied, so it's in me. Do you ever have something that you can talk about that it's already in you, and it's just an easy flow of conversation? Well, that's what it's going to be like today, and, and I'm very excited for you, because what happened when I began to learn about this truth, and it was like seriously deposited, and I'm not sure if it was as much deposited in me as it was, was un uncapped or un unfolded in me because it was God's plan that we understood it all along. And it just made this beautiful connection for me. So God's full story is, is a very interesting thing. On this topic, we're going to be bringing bits of the Old, Old Testament together with the New Testament. And we're going to see that his redemptive plan has been there all along, all along. So I want to introduce you to the topic of uh, the Christ and uh, we're going to go ahead and get started, okay? So the Christ is a term we are quite familiar with. We see it over and over again in the New Testament. In fact, if you read the entire New Testament from beginning to end, you're going to see the Christ written 571 times. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. So we've got a slide coming up. Oh, look at that. It worked, Yvette. I'm so excited. I want to teach you a little bit about the word Christ, okay? And I want to tell you this. It's, we're gonna, I, I needed to unpack it this way. I actually needed to put a visual in front of you so that you would understand it. The English word, this is a version that we see in our Bibles, Christ, right? Okay? But this, oh, and she taught me that too. All right, hold on. There we go. Yeah, she's trying to teach it. She said Nathan sometimes did that, and I just did it. I hit it with the side of the hand. All right, so English 
is, is Christ, right? But we know that our English Bibles came from a Greek Bible. And when we drop down into the Greek meaning, the Greek was Christus in the Bible. Well, Christus has its origin as well because we actually see the 571 times that it appears in the New Testament, you actually see the word Messiah 39 times in the Old Testament. And Mashiach is actually translated to Christus in the Greek, which is then goes to Christ. What's really important that you catch here is that this language is a little bit deeper and richer. The Hebrew language has just amazing depth. And what happens here is in the Hebrew, Mashiach means anointed one, and it also means king to come. You got that? So those are the two meanings of Mashiach that is then translated to Christus, which is then translated to Christ. The meaning follows the word, okay? Important that you remember that. 37 times of the 39 times in the Old Testament, it was translated anointed. Two times it was translated Messiah. Messiah means this. In Judaism, the expected king of the Davidic line who would deliver Israel from foreign bondage and restore the glories of the olden age. Does that sound, you get that? So what this is, is this is the king to come out of David's lineage. So they're identifying that. We got it? We good with that? Excellent. All right. So Old Testament scriptures are written in Hebrew. Language, again, much deeper. Lots of death. The word anointed, though, is a very powerful, powerful word, especially when found in the Old Testament. God commanded, so he didn't ask them, he commanded them, leaders, to be anointed or to be set apart. It was a type of consecration, a dedication unto the Lord, marking their lives as being chosen by God in service to God. So the word anointed, it carries a great weight, it carries a high value, it carries honor, and it carries deep reverence with it. This Hebrew word, Mashiach, was meant anointed one and Messiah, and again, it was translated. So again, we've got to move the translation up with it. So the meaning follows it, all right? Christ is the anointed one, okay? So now you have to get your, word, your head wrapped around it. Christ is the anointed one and the king to come. You got it? Okay, remember that. Because what happens is, is we've mixed the words up. We actually say Jesus and we say Christ. Actually, Christ is, is a title given to Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's important. Sometimes we're reading things in our very own Bibles and we have a meaning that's come in and we've shifted it. We've not actually explored the depth of it, and that Hebrew depth is important. Again, Christ means Jesus is the Christ, so if Jesus is the Christ, he is the anointed one and king to come, okay? All right, as a child, I grew up not really knowing or understanding the Jewish faith, and instead I grew up under a false pretense, get this, of misunderstanding. Now, you have to remember I was born in the 60s, all right? So you move through the 70s. It was just this, this era I was also the youngest child, and I would say an oops child, but I'm not. I was the blessed surprise of my family, all right? I am the blessed surprise. And with it came, there were, there were just some things that my family grew up with. So the home I grew up in did not celebrate diversity or try to understand it. You see what I'm saying? 
And so with that, anything, listen, in, instead, that which was foreign or not understood, we were taught to judge. If it doesn't look like us or act like us, then it must be wrong. Well, this is a lie, absolute lie, based off of fear of acceptance and identity and does not belong in the kingdom. It is a freedom issue, okay? So you see, for me, looking at the Jewish faith, it was different, and we did not associate with anyone. It was as if they were a class or a culture on their own. And since we didn't understand them, we stayed away from them. Well, I began to develop a mindset that the Jewish faith was lost in the Old Testament. And because they did not come to faith in Jesus, the Old Testament must not be of use to me. Did you hear what I just said? Do you see how I just, because I didn't understand a culture, I didn't respect or honor them, that then I actually took a segment of my own necessary life off, off the shelf. I wouldn't even look at it because of a judgment that I had towards something. Well, this was also somehow reinforced by teaching that did not honor the Old Testament. How many of you have actually heard preachers or, or pastors or people in authority say, the Old Testament is not for today? How many of you have heard that? I've actually heard it. I've heard it. And now in my older years, I much, I much more clearly understand that that is very wrong because God speaks through his entire word. And if we choose to not engage in part of it, we are choosing to leave precious details out of his story. And we need every piece of, those, of his story. So a misunderstanding of the Old Testament only sets us up to misunderstand his love story with us. The Old Testament is a beautiful history book, and it is a love story to his chosen people of Israel who were promised a Mashiach. They were promised one, okay? They were promised an anointed one who would deliver them. So every word written about the Mashiach came true in the person of Jesus. But the Jews missed it because they were convinced that the anointed one would come in a different way. They were looking for a military king. They were not looking for Jesus. You see, Jesus was the fulfillment of the scriptures, he was the answer to their prayers, and Jesus was the, actually like the capstone of their faith. He came in love and power, setting the captives free, releasing prisoners, raising the dead, both physically and spiritually, bringing sight to the blind, both physically and spiritually, and opening the deaf ears, both physically and spiritually. He exposed religion and the conditions of the heart. All by walking as a man, which I love, and illustrating what it looked like to do all these things through the power of the Holy Spirit and disciple others. That's the example he set for us. Well, early Christians, especially Jews, who came to faith in Jesus, very clearly understood he was the fulfillment. And Gentiles... Oh my gosh, they were just reverent and forever in gratitude to a God who decided to graft them into the family. So the Apostle Paul grew up in the Jewish faith. We know that. In fact, he was quite educated. He knew who the Messiah was to be. He knew the prophetic scriptures speaking of his coming. 
He knew all these things, yet he was so blinded by religion that he could not see Jesus for who he was, the Christ. He found his identity in his, in his zeal for persecuting Christians instead in defense of God. Little did he know that his God showed up in human form and caused religion, actually the whole religious world, to shake. Here's a tidbit for you. Sometimes our worlds need to shake because we've built our lives around lies. Jesus came to break the perception and reteach who God was to the people who were far away from him. He came to teach them about a loving, a kind, a compassionate God full of justice and mercy who was not afraid to speak truth. For Paul, it took an encounter. It took an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then the scales fell off. Paul then could see Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one. So let's now dive into exactly what that means. Remember just a few minutes ago, I told you that God commanded that certain people be anointed? Well, here's who they command to be anointed. This is what we're looking at. Okay, I'm not going to do that. There we go. Hey, in the Old Testament, there were three classes of public servants. You're going to see that they are the prophets, the priests, and the kings. Each person appointed to one of these offices was consecrated by... Yvette, I'm going to need your help, hon. Thank you. Each person appointed to one of these offices was consecrated by being anointed with oil. So this was the anointing process that God had had in design. What we're going to look at is, is this. This is very significant. Anointing with oil is significant to the sense of, of going back to the Old, Old Testament. We see oil used um, in different places, and we sometimes feel like um, we're not quite sure what its purpose is. Let me give you a really hidden little secret. I'm not going to charge you for this one, okay? When we look at the Old Testament, we, or the New Testament, we see the word, we see the Holy Spirit a lot, right? Either the Spirit of God, or we see the Spirit, or we see the Holy Spirit, okay? Do you think, do you really think that the Holy Spirit was not active in the Old Testament? I see no, I hear no response in the crowd. He's very active in the Old Testament, but we just don't see it written as the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you, he's kind of in disguise, and he comes in as wind as fire, and as oil, all right? So when you're looking at anointed with oil, you are looking at anointed with the Holy Spirit. This is the symbolism that's being used, okay? So again, I won't charge you for that one, okay? Let's take a look at 1 Kings 19, 15 through 16. What I'm trying to show you is actually where you're going to see that these things are happening in the scriptures. So the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert, of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint, you see it? Anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Do you see that they're being anointed with oil? Do you see it? Okay. Exodus 28, 41, after you put the clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, look what they're doing, 
anoint and ordain them, consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. All right? Anointing someone was key and was the order God had put in place. Now, let's look at who he anointed. He anointed the prophet. A prophet is one of, uh, literally is God's spokesman. The prophet of old spearheaded the advancement of God's people and operated with a different mantle than today's prophets, okay? Listen carefully. In those days, much of Yahweh's will for his people had not yet been disclosed or revealed at all. Therefore, the faith of his people was founded on the word of prophecy. Here's what's happening in the Old Testament. The book has not been written. The book is being lived out firsthand, and then afterwards, many years afterwards, it is written. They need the prophet to actually speak because they don't have the written word of God to lead them. Does it make sense? So God spoke to the prophet, and the prophet spoke to the people. This is how he kept them in alignment. It's like the guardrails. He was literally, they were literally the mouthpieces. So the major and minor prophets of the Old Testament were forever giving guidance to Israel. And when Israel would get off track or out of line, the voice of God would come through the prophets and would tell them what they needed to know. It is as if, it is as if they had a direct connection to the throne room of heaven. They're considered, again, the mouthpiece. Let's look at their primary role. A prophet's primary role was to make known the word of God and often involved calling people back to obedience to God. They denounced injustice, idolatry, and empty rituals. It was often dangerous to be a prophet. People mocked, imprisoned, and persecuted God's prophets. Well, Moses is probably the most stellar of all of God's prophets in the Old Testament, and God confirmed that when, when they would... Uh, that another prophet would come behind him. Listen to God's declaration found in Deuteronomy. And this is Moses now speaking to the Israelites. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. I'm just going to pause for just a second. They were afraid of the presence of God. And because they, were, they chose fear over just honor and reverence, they begged, begged for a prophet instead. The Lord, said, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. Now, let's set all that aside and let's talk about the next role, which is the priest. And the priest is one who represents people before God. Aaron, Moses' brother, may have been the most stellar of God's ordained priest as he was the first appointed high priest in Exodus. Let's look at Exodus now. The dress, then dress Aaron in the sacred garments and anoint him 
You see, they're anointing. Anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. This is literally God speaking. As ministers of the Lord's house, the priests were responsible to lead the people in the proper worship of Yahweh according to the Mosaic law, the law given through the prophet Moses. They were to ensure the mediation of God's forgiveness through proper facilitation of the sacrificial offerings according to God's, God's word. This high priest also placed blessings of God upon the covenant people. And by invoking the name of Jesus, or I'm sorry, of God, in congregational blessing, God held Israel's priests to a very high standard. In fact, they had to keep the law, and when they violated it, they were punished accordingly, sometimes unto death. These religious leaders were to lead in a setting, a personal example of holiness before the Lord. The priest literally served as a mediator between God and the people. This is the only way that, that the people could get their sacrifices to the Lord was through the priest. It was the only way. Now, slide that one off to the side and let's bring the last one into focus. The last position is the king. And here's the thing about the king. The king was anointed to represent God for the purposes of governing the people according to God's direction. Israel's anointed kings were leaders selected by the Lord and ruled at his pleasure. Did you hear what I just said? Israel's anointed kings were leaders selected by the Lord and ruled by his pleasure. God gave Israel a king as they requested, and the people begged for a king to fight for their battles. They were forever living in a powerless life because of their disobedience. Now, this is Israel. Now, keep in mind, just because someone is anointed does not mean they cannot fail. Obedience unto the Lord is a choice. Here's something for us to keep in mind. Anointing plus obedience equals empowerment, all right? But here's the next one. Anointing plus disobedience equals disaster, okay? Let's look at the life of an anointed superhero of the Old Testament, Samuel. Samuel served in many capacities, including he was a seer, he was a priest, he was a judge, he was a prophet, and a military leader. As Samuel aged, he passed authority on to his sons. They, however, did not honor God with their gifts or with their lives. That was the perfect setup. It was the disaster setup. It was the anointing plus disobedience made for disaster. The people of Israel were fed up with their leadership and pretty much refused to follow them, and they in turn begged for a king like the other nations around them. They were convinced a king would save them from their current reality and fight victoriously for them in battle. Well, Samuel, he took it personally. He was offended, and he came to God with this request. You're going to find this in 1 Samuel but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, 
forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And what happened was, they did just that. Samuel went and explained all of this to them. If you continue reading in that passage, you're going to read at all the things that the king would do, meaning taking their tithe and, and claiming this of theirs and claiming this. So all of a sudden, even their properties and all their things isn't going to be just theirs anymore. It becomes part of this kingdom where it has to come in. So he tried talking them out of their request. But this is what happened instead. The people refused to listen to Samuel. And I love, do you look at this? There's an exclamation mark in there. I did not put that in there. That's in God's word. That's how much they refused and demanded. So they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. Do you hear that? Then we will be like all the others. Instead of looking to God, they're looking for their power outside of God, right? We will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us to go out before us and to fight our battles. Israel was still searching for leadership outside of God, and they were rejecting God once again. And as a good father, God allowed them to experience life under kingship, both good and bad. So what are the responsibilities of a king? In Deuteronomy, Moses charged the future kings of Israel to read the law that they might learn to fear God and remain humble. They were also commanded to keep God's people faithful to him and to not be obsessed with political power or pleasure like the rulers of the other nations in the ancient Near East. Israel's kings were to rule in righteousness and wickedness was not to be found among them. Though the king was expected to be benevolent towards his people, he exercised leadership by divine authority. And this is really key. And to bring a matter into the presence of the king was to bring it before God as his representative. That's the authority that was in the kingship. Can you see the anointing on the position? Can you see it? In summary, let's listen. The prophet, the priest, and the king were all chosen, and they were anointed by God. Each had an eternal purpose. The prophet, he was the communicator. The priest was the mediator. And the king established kingdom and ruled from its throne, serving as a representative or a representation of God. This was all by design. So God's plan, though, has always been to be in relationship with us, right? From the Garden of Eden, we see the beautiful plan of God unfold. And we know what happened. Man and women chose disobedience over honoring God. Sin entered the picture and division came. God is a holy God. So sin separates us from God, therefore cutting off communication. This is where the prophet comes in. The prophet was the mouthpiece of God to the people so that communication be, could be there, right? Now, remember, God is still a holy God, and whoever comes into his presence presence must be clean and payment for sin must be made this is a requires a blood sacrifice and offering 
This is where the priest comes in, and the priest would mediate the needs of the people before a holy God. And later, as the Israelites demanded further leadership, as found in 1 Samuel 8, the authority of kings was established. Kings establish kingdom, guiding and protecting their people. Israel, they were searching for a rescue, yet they pushed away from everyone who loved them and who wanted to protect them, the very one who loved them. They were looking for a military takeover, and in their minds, the only possible way to come out from under the oppression that they were experiencing was for a Messiah to show up and for him to blow up some stuff, right? We think of a military response right now. That's not what it would look like then on the blowing up stage, but literally that's what the Lord gave me when I was writing the sermon. It's what they were expecting. They were expecting that this, this pushover of this oppression that was on them, and it was gonna be military. But picture God as Papa God. He's our daddy with disobedient children. God knew his plan was perfect, and it did not include military force, but the children were wrestling for the answer. Do you see Israel wrestling for their answer? They could not comprehend that God wanted to change their hearts and not their circumstances. Nowhere in their repertoire of answers, nowhere was the concept of their long-awaited Messiah being born as a human and being raised in the faith and turning the world upside down when his ministry began. Yes, the Messiah showed up, and he did blow a lot of things up. He turned water into wine. He healed the lame and the deaf, he delivered the demonized. He changed the standard for women. And he exposed the religious spirit. Now, let's go back to the beginning of this message and let's look at what these words mean again. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christus. Next one. Christus means the anointed one. And the next one, Jesus is the Christ, therefore, Jesus is the anointed one. Do you see it? Do you see all of a sudden it coming together? Do you see the perfect plan? Jesus fulfills the role of the prophet. He fulfills the role of the, the, of the priest, and Jesus fulfills the role of the king. For me, this revelation brought me to a place of deep reverence in the purposes of God and his plan. There is no question in my soul to his heartfelt compassion for both you and I and his strategic redemption plan that he's had all along. Now, let's look at what it means, okay? Let's, look at, let's tie some Old Testament scriptures in with some New Testament, and I think you're going to find that they just flow right together. Let's look at the messianic prophecy that we find in Isaiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. He's talking about the family tree. If you want to bring that into our reality, it's the family tree. He's saying the family tree of Jesse. Through that family tree, there will be something that comes out of it. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, and of understanding, the spirit of counsel, and of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he 
will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. This is Jesus. That prophecy is all about Jesus. It's him. This is the Messiah that we're waiting for, and he has this beautiful um, job description right here, right? And we wonder, though, how, did, how and when was he anointed? Because we've been talking about anointing all along, Right? Remember we talked about everyone was anointed in the Old Testament with oil? We're going to see how Jesus was now anointed. And we find that in Mark 1, 9 through 11. And at this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And so we see it. We actually, in this this piece of it, we actually see the Spirit of God coming down. So the Holy Spirit comes down, and this is the anointing of Jesus. Jesus becomes our prophet. And prophets hear from God. So let's look at how this prophet hears from God, all right? What's very interesting, though, is before we do that, remember, the Jews were looking for a Messiah, right? They were looking for him. This is, they have grown up in this faith, and we're talking generation after generation after generation after generation. They read the same promises, and they are still awaiting the arrival of a Messiah, okay? So John 1, I'm actually going to flip through. We're not going to use that uh, slide as much as I actually want to read it. Because it's very interesting. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests from the temple and temple assistants from Jerusalem. I want you to know that they were on the search. Israel was on the search for this Messiah. And so they're looking, and they come to John, and they say, who are you? He came right on and said, he goes, I am not the Messiah. He knew who they were looking for. He knew exactly who they were looking for. Well, then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? Do you hear the expectation? They are expecting the prophet. No, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Yes, amen is right, right? And so John knew his role, and he knew he was not the Messiah, but they were on the look for the Messiah. Well, how do we know that he's the prophet as well? Well, it's even in its simplicity, Nathaniel knew. I don't know if you remember this scripture or not, but Nathaniel was called. He was called from under a fig tree, and this is what happened. This was an exchange that happened between Philip and Nathaniel. Next one. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Now remember, remember, 
Philip, he's Jewish. He, he knows what he's looking for. He, he, they, are, they are living in expectation of this Messiah. And he tells them, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Are we working? It's going to be back one. There we go. Jesus, I'm going to read it off of here. How's that sound? Here we go. All right. Okay. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see. And said Philip, well, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael says. Like, literally, how do you know me? I've never seen you before in my life. How do you know me? Right? And that's that's a statement because he's talking about integrity, Like, I can say I've seen so-and-so or I've seen you over here, but he's talking about an integritous place of of his heart that he actually sees. He goes, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked, and Jesus answered. He said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then, in that moment, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see, Jesus knows everything. He knows and sees everything. If we were standing in this room, he, would, he could glance through this room, and he's going to know every one of your intentions. He's going to know your full heart. He's going to know what you're thinking. All those things. He knows us. And this, this is prophetic. So while Jesus walks the earth in human form, he also shares with us exactly where his words come from, though. Remember, he walks the earth in human form. Remember? He's also anointed, so he's got the Holy Spirit. He's walking in human form. Look at these verses. Jesus tells us. He says, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. John 12, 49 says this, for I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. You see how he has that that prophecy? He is a a prophet. He's listening to the throne room of heaven. He's literally getting his words from a holy God who wants to talk to his people. Jesus hears Father God and communicates to us in direct messages. And then upon his ascension, after being raised from the dead, Jesus takes his seat at the right hand of the Father. He has direct access to God. And from this position, he is our prophet. When we put our trust in him, he communicates the things of God directly to us. Actually, through the spirit residing in us. Do you remember what we said previously, though, about the role of the prophet in the Old Testament? Let's take a look at that role again, and let's see if it really hits, if it hits the mark. A prophet's primary role was to make known the word of God. He was the word of God made flesh, remember? and often involved calling people back to obedience. Does Jesus do that? Of course he does. He denounces injustice, idolatry, and empty rituals. It was often dangerous to be a prophet. Jesus was in danger all the time. And people mocked, imprisoned, and persecuted God's prophets. 
I think he fits that job description pretty well. Well, Jesus is also our priest. Jesus is the mediator, actually, for the better covenant, making the final payment for sin. Priests of the past had, had to continually make sacrifices for their sin. This, the word tells us that their sacrifices actually didn't even clean their consciousness as it should have, that instead it reminded them of their sins of the past. It, had, it really didn't have the full ability to cleanse completely. But Jesus, however, serves. He serves as both the sacrifice, pure and holy, so he is the blood sacrifice, but he's also the high priest that makes the sacrifice. He literally is the one offering it up to God. So we can come to Jesus with confidence in knowing he is anointed into this role in our life. I can come to him confidently before the throne of God because Jesus gives me access to God. Let's look at where we find that in the scriptures as well. Hebrews 4:14. In 16 through 16, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us. Hold on right there, because look, he can. He walked as a human. He empathizes with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How do we know he's an eternal priest? Let's keep reading in Hebrews 7, 20 through 26. And it was not without an oath Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him this, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests who have gone before him since death prevented them from continuing in office. So the priests were human and they would die and another priest would have to take their place but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them and such a high priest truly meets our need one who is holy one who is blameless one who is pure and one who is set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. With this in mind, we can enter the sacred place with God through the torn curtain. Do you remember the torn curtain? Do you remember that when Jesus died in the moment of his death, that the actual, the temple curtain that they say was as thick as a phone book. If you're a kid in here, you probably don't know what a phone book is, right? But as thick as one of those big phone books a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the others, it was torn from the top down, not from the bottom up. What it did is it represented separation. And because Jesus is our high priest, 
there's no more separation. Let's look at Hebrews. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, the one who went before us, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Our high priest has paid in full for our access to the Father. Our payment has been made. And finally, Jesus is our king. Through the Davidic covenant recorded in 2 Samuel, David was given the unconditional promise. Did you hear me? The unconditional promise that his throne would be established forever. Let's look at that. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself, this Lord saying, I will take care of business. I will establish this myself, a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And do you realize before we even go any further that his house is the church? Do you realize it's the people? It's not these four walls. It never has been. The house of God belongs in us, right? And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's establishing kingdom in us. I will be his father and he will be my son. Matthew 2, 1 through 6 says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, the Magi, the ones, do you know that the Magi were actually um, mystics? They didn't believe in God. But they knew that there was a king promised. Literally, outsiders knew. And, and they came from the east and they said, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he was called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. The Messiah, what was it? The anointed king to come. In Bethlehem, they said, in Judea. And they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. I'm going to skip through these final ones, and we're going to move to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Yvette, and we're going to tie this all up. You can look at the scriptures. Mary was promised that her son would be named Jesus, right? We also see the, the, the promises of the um, uh, Emmanuel, and that the government would rest upon the shoulders. Do you hear the king? Do you hear the kingdom? Do you hear the, the anointing? All these words were prophetic words. And in Hebrews 1 through 1 through, I feel like this really wraps it up. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these days, he has spoken to us through his son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. Christ is the prophet. He is our priest. And he is our king. The question today is, have you given him permission to be your prophet? Have you given him permission to be your priest? Have you given him permission to actually be your king? Do you trust that he communicates with you and that he's trustworthy? Have you allowed him to make full payment for your sin? Or are you holding on to something that's actually holding on to you and keeping you captive? Remember, Jesus was the priest and the sacrifice once and for all. But in order to receive those benefits of sanctification, you must put your faith in the work he did, not in yours. And have you allowed him the absolute honor of being your king? Have you allowed him to be Lord of everything? Not just the parts and pieces that you wanna give him, but everything. Have you allowed him to come in and have full lordship over you? Over your marriage, over your finances, over your families, over your business? over all the pieces of your heart that sometimes you keep closed off because you don't want anyone to see or deal with. Remember, he's the prophet he sees. He loves you so much. I just wanna invite you in this moment, we'll just end with a prayer. you're not a believer, I'll invite you to come forward in a little bit. We'd love to pray with you. But even in our believing, have we allowed him to have access to it all? That's what the question is. So with bowed heads, we're just going to pray. Father God, you're amazing. We love you. We thank you. We honor you and we just thank you that you are prophet, you are priest and king. And where there's been any place in our life we've not trusted you with it, Lord, would you just come in and do that work right now? We just want to resubmit those places of our life to you. We just honor you and we bless you in that moment. And stay in that moment if you need to. We just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.